You're listening to the Erasing Shame podcast, season two. We are erasing shame by replacing it with honest talk about healthy living, emotionally, relationally, mentally, and personally. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Erasing Shame. My name is DJ Chuang, and I'm joined by my good, good friend, Margaret Yu. Thank you for being here with me. Yay. And Margaret was instrumental in connecting us with our co-host for season two, May Lee Chang. We want to congratulate her because she recently just got married. Beautiful. So her couple of weeks off so that she can celebrate and enjoy this new season of life, right? And then when she's ready, she'll come back and let us know and we'll hear all about um, the wedding and um, the celebration and hopefully no incidents of shame, but you know, that just happens to sneak in here and there, whether it's a small mistake or someone is upset with the family dynamic or whatever. whatever. Anyways, today we're here with Margaret. She is the National Director of Epic Movement, which is a part of uh, the Asian American Ministry Department of Crew, which previously was called Campus Crusade for Christ. And they are a Christian ministry organization that helps people to uh, find meaning in life through Christ. And um, we're going to talk about shame and how that has shown up in her work in this world of leadership. There are so many books on leadership now, and there's different reasons for that. Uh, I've been in this leadership development world for over a decade, coming up on 20 years. And uh, actually, that's how we first met at a leadership event. Do you remember when that happened, Margaret? Yes, well, I met you a long time ago through emails. Wow, in person. Was it, we met at, did we meet at the Hotel Del Coronado? The Foundation uh, Asian American Leadership Gathering. It was a great place, it was so much fun. I loved getting to know you, you know, in person rather than just on email, that was fun. That was before social media. That's right. Pre-social media, uh, not quite pre-internet, but definitely pre-social media. And just to uh, let our viewers and listeners know, we had a very special gathering in the fall of 2001, Mm -hmm. where many of the faith community leaders uh, gathered together in Hotel Del Coronado. And I was working at the time with L Squared Foundation, which was, uh, which is still around, but uh, at that time, with a very clear uh, focus and launch event to develop leadership and legacy for Asian Americans. And I was part of the executive team and we gathered about 35 people. We had some really robust discussions that I think developed some relationships that continue to impact our uh, faith communities and our communities at large, uh, even today, 18, 17 years later. And um, I like to say, DJ, that I followed you before there were such things as clicking to follow someone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. You're very kind. kind. But we've got a lot to talk about uh, with 20 years of history, but we got about 20 some minutes. So we're going to synthesize some of that and uh, describe uh, some of the experiences that you've seen shame show up in this leadership context. Well, I think that um, my experience working not just with Asian American leaders, but also people of color as well as uh, non, you know, non-dominant or dominant um, mm-hmm. people 
in leadership really shows me that um, Shane is a very, very debilitating um, experience that really, I think, hinders leaders. For example, um, I, it's not just that you did something wrong, which, you know, part of leadership, what makes leadership so hard is that you really are trying to influence a group of people towards a goal. You know, that's mm-hmm. part of you as a leader of a team. And usually in leadership, you're really heading somewhere. You're providing direction. The problem with that is that you're often seen, you know, part of for you to do what you do as a leader, that means that people feel your presence and know your direction. So everything you do in some ways is seen, the good and the ugly. So I call it the mm-hmm. fishbowl effect, that when you take on a leadership role, uh, people see me in my best and my worst. And in my best, that feels really good. But when I, when I fumble or when I don't fulfill the role, you know, the way that I should or when I do something bad, then it becomes something like, oh, my gosh, I really messed up. And then, you know, maybe I did this wrong, which is just guilt. Like I did something wrong. But then it triggers into, oh, my goodness, now I'm really bad. I shouldn't even be in leadership. And then you smile like I'm never going to be good enough. And so that kind of emotion actually renders us almost um, irrational, to be honest, because I've seen myself become irrational. And I've seen other leaders become irrational because those emotions are so dark and so brutal sometimes that they, de- they don't allow us to really think, um, um, they don't allow us to think really accurately about the situation. And what happens is then it becomes about me. You know, that not only did I do something bad, or I made a mistake, which I can actually when I look at the community and I want to serve the community, then I can make something new and learn or do something different or create a solution to solve the problem, right? That's very proactive. But it, as shame triggers in, then it becomes like, not only did I do something wrong, but I'm the failure, that I'm the bad person. Mm-hmm. And then I, long, then I just want to hide or avoid or I get maybe defensive and different things all of which doesn't allow me to really focus on leading and serving people, but it actually focuses on me. It's my self-reproach. It's all about me, which doesn't make a good leader. Right. It's such a a derailing and debilitating kind of thing. And uh, there's so much dynamic there because you're not only working on tasks, you're working on relationships with the task and they're so intricately tied but it's so much easier to manage a spreadsheet or annual report and reach a goal that's tangible, but all this visible and intangible, invisible dynamic that happens, some of which is in this dark shadow of shame. So how have you found some help into navigating this? Because I'm thinking back of all the leadership that leadership books and seminars and things that I've come across, they don't talk about shame and leadership. I think we don't. I think those who are practitioners, we deal with it all the time in ourselves and others. And and so I I think we in the West think that it's actually bad to feel guilt or shame, that those things usually are debilitating, those two things. So you can like, for example, um, go to the self, you know, go to a bookstore in the self-help department. You'll feel things, you know, you'll find things like, well, you know, how to get rid of guilt, how to get rid of shame. And, but it's also very, you know, dichotomized to things outside of life and ministry, right, or, or life and leadership. And so 
I think what I what I want to say is that there's actually nothing wrong with um, embracing guilt, meaning that I feel guilt, meaning that I embrace and own that I did something wrong, that I made a, made a mistake. I'm human. I'm flawed. Because when you do that, there's a freedom. If you look at a leader serving others, then you can go, how can I serve the community? Wow, I really impacted these people by my wrong decisions or my wrong choices or my behavior really impacted someone. Then when I can see that I'm guilty and then I can go, okay, then what do I do now to render it differently, to make it right? That's actually positive, right? Mm-hmm. Where shame would trigger and go, oh my gosh, I messed up. Even though I did maybe 95% right things, I messed up on the 5% and all I can think about is I'm living, I'm not good enough, I'm a bad leader. And that actually renders you irrational and, and not as, I, I think, not as good of a thinker or creative. And so I, I think the idea that guilt is actually something to embrace rather than avoid. You know, instead of avoiding that I made a mistake and trying to hide, which is a little bit of shame, right? You hide, um, you hide because you don't want to be found out that, wow, Margaret made a big mistake. You don't want people to think that I'm not good enough. And so I think um, studies would show, um, there's a study by Schoenberg, um, Rebecca Schoenberg from Walton Business School. In, 20, in 2012, she did a studies on leaders and did a variety of things, but the final analysis of that um, study really says that people who actually um, feel guilt but not shame are more prone to take on leadership roles. And also people who feel guilt and not shame are more prone to be good leaders. And that's kind of a big predictor. You know, it's kind of crazy. But I actually think that's true. Uh, there is a difference between guilt and shame. And, and, mm-hmm. and there's a freedom in embracing my humanness and my flaw. But to go, what do I do now as a leader? Rather than getting stuck that I look bad and I'm bad. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I will have to search for that article and link to it in our show notes if it's available, or at least the title would be available. And um, this is uh, definitely a valuable piece of research because uh, we're all trying to figure out this leadership thing and the world is changing so fast and it's becoming diversified and global. And uh, we don't know how to step into that world. And um, jobs in 10 years uh, that are going to be common don't even exist today. And so that creates a lot of stress. That creates a lot of anxiety. And um, leadership is much needed. And as you were describing this, well, guilt is easy to remedy. We have good examples of that, that when a leader recognizes that a mistake or something wrong was done, they can admit, admit the mistake mm-hmm. and show the actions they're going to do to correct what in the world do you do when a leader feels shame and they're hiding? It's so hard. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, I deal with it myself. Um, I think in my early years in, in, in my work, um, because of what I would hear from my family, you know, that, for example, that girls can't do this or different things that minimize mm. who I am and my confidence, but also uh, as a person of color living in a, uh, majority white 
you know, system right now in America, but also as a person working in a nonprofit Christian organization that is predominantly white. Um, so for me, there, there are a lot of things, even for myself, that I had to deal with, that I had to battle with the in, inner voices that I have that I'm not good enough. And uh, even as I think some of us, whether we're people of color or majority culture, we deal with the imposter syndrome. I think Kathy Kahn talks mm -hmm. about this in her book, um, Raise Your Voice. And really she talks about some of us, even though we're competent, but because of how we were raised or because of the system in America, we get into situations where we're capable, we're, we're sitting at the CEO seat or whatever. But at times our inner voice would go, well, you shouldn't be here. You're an imposter. And so there's so many things that makes it really hard to deal with shame. I, I've seen that myself and how I had to realize that I may have a seat here, but I need to really, um, deal with my shame and feeling not good enough or that I'm bad and really deal with my past hurts or my past history or, or in just even myself that I actually have power, um, mm. that I can make a difference and I can kind of reclaim this for myself. And so I think um, a lot of it to me is the solution of, you know, what is the antidote of shame? And, you know, mm -hmm. we, we talk about Brene Brown. I love her. I love her books, Anna. You know, I did that with your, I did a book club with your wife actually once. That was really fun. I love, you know, she talks about antidote for um, shame is empathy. And I, I think I would agree with that in that, you know, something about empathy means that someone else would come to know what you're dealing with, what you're feeling, so that you're not alone. And so that even in your flawedness, even in your imperfections, another person can give you empathy or love and grace. And so for me, that makes sense because um, shame is a lot of self-reproach. It's being judged by others, but it's also you judging yourself. That you're not good enough, that what's wrong with you? You shouldn't even be a leader, that kind of thing. So the antidote, I think, um, is really um, empathy, but really getting to the root of not hiding, but being in the light with another person in community where you can find mercy and grace and love and encouragement. But at the same time, people are also looking at the fact that, yeah, you blew it. You know, yeah, you're, you're human. You made a mistake. Let's learn and move on. And give that kind of grace. And I think it's a lot of incidences that would replace the self-reproach is um, what's needed. And um, I think um, there's another study that you should look at. It's Kristen Neff with UT, University of Texas, Austin. And she's a professor um, that kind of looks at what is the antidote for shame. And I, I think she's onto something when she says, really, the antidote for shame isn't just positive self-image. It isn't humility. You know what I mean? Come on, you know, stuff like that. And, and she goes, it's actually even more than empathy. Is actually self-compassion. Hmm. How she would describe self-compassion, I think, is that it's the ability to uh, allow yourself to be loved in the midst of suffering. And so when you think about shame, it's actually very brutal, right? When you're in that place of, that you just feel like, oh my gosh, you know, it's that face of shame, mm -hmm. that you actually need that kind of compassion in the midst of, it's almost like suffering. It's not, I know that, but it's almost like, so you need love and compassion. And I, I would agree with Bre Brene Brown that it's from others. 
you know, me as a Christian, I get that from God, but also from those who love me and support me. And that instead of self-reproach, I'm replacing it as I go to community and they're giving me compassion and grace and love and supporting me even in my flaw states. And so I, I love the way she talks about self-compassion um, and that um, it really is likened to the, you know, the greatest commandment in the Bible it talks about to love the Lord your God. And the second is like it is to love others yourself as yourself. But practicing self-compassion means that I would love myself and allow to be loved so that I can love others. You know what I mean? Mm. And that I would um, sometimes, I think sometimes we have double take, like I may be more compassionate towards you when you tell me something about your mistakes, but when it's my mistake, I'm not as gracious. And self-compassion mm. says you allow yourself to be in community where they give you that kind of love and support, but you also allow yourself to forgive yourself for the mistakes that you've made. And also that you, you love yourself. Well, I know for myself that God loves me so that I receive and internalize that love again so that I'm practicing compassion from God and others. And I think slowly over time that changes how we relate to shame. Wow. There is so much meat there. Thank you for sharing all of that. And um, there's a number of thoughts racing in my mind because I've had quite a journey through shame myself and that's actually one of the things that I'm working on with my therapist right now mm -hmm. is this concept of uh, self-compassion yeah. because um, while, while uh, we should love others as we love ourselves, I have this really disjointed uh, perspective on life and in my behavior and attitude that I treat others really well and I treat myself really badly. And I think the encouragement and the hope of, Healing comes from treating myself as well as I treat others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm just beginning to close that gap. And it's a lot of effort. And so this isn't something that just happens instantly because you heard a quote or you heard a podcast or had a conversation. It does take repeated experiences and repeated conversations and forming new habits and rewiring your brain. Because mm -hmm. I've lived with this for decades it might take at least a couple years, maybe decades to really get back to that place where it's mm -hmm. evened out. And so give ourselves grace for the time to heal from all of that shame. I love that. I love that. I agree with you. I think mm -hmm. it's even giving ourselves grace in the journey, like you said, of shame, that we're recovering. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. And, and uh, one more thought that came to mind was uh, for leaders in particular, mm -hmm. uh, we might be able to find someone who can empathize with us and say, mm -hmm. you and that helps us to know we're not alone. Then we can take that next step. Um, we can work with a therapist to begin learning new habits of self-compassion. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I mentioned that in the previous episode of Erasing mm -hmm. Shame about how I got a flat tire in Atlanta. And that triggered that feeling of shame because that's my first reaction, first response to anything that happens to me negatively. Even though it's not my fault, the first question that comes to mind is, what did I do wrong? Yes. Yes. And uh, I'm just learning to pause, take a breath, maybe two or three, and re uh, consciously tell myself, no, you didn't do anything wrong. And then I can take the next step towards, okay, do something healthy, something productive. Yeah. And uh, 
that's that's what's beginning to look like. And that's uh, I think uh, as you were describing the leadership situation, that's even harder because uh, as you have those two steps in place, and those are very important steps because it moves you out of that heaviness and darkness of shame. Where in the world do you find a community that can give you that extra grace because then you can get restored? And I think the one place where that can happen is a leadership community where you can be with peers and you don't have to hold the leadership mantle. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think that's where the challenge of leadership is that you're always in the midst of so many relationships, whether you're reporting to your CEO or you're the CEO, but others are reporting to you and you're, you have lateral responsibilities everywhere, right? 360 responsibilities and relationships, which tells you a lot of opportunities to fail, right? That's part mm. of it is we fail. We're not perfect. And so I think, I think that's where for leaders to find people who can empathize with them at that similar um, life stage or minute or organizational kind of peer leadership in the same organization or structures, you know, someone who's an executive director, I have a friend who is an ED and she just, helps me to realize what I'm doing and maybe what I should be doing, but also give myself grace when I, when I blow it. And I can turn to her and say, hey, I'm thinking through this or I'm processing this, help me. And so I think it's important. I would say, similar to what I, I have friends who are pastors, who they would say that for them to find kind of that kind of safe community, you know, to have self-compassion and empathy and to allow them to kind of replace that, you know, replace that kind of care away from self-reproach, from shame, is um, um, some of them will, will go to other places outside their organization or church to find that. I think that's probably really important. But I also think that it's also good to have it within what you're working in. You know, you don't have to have all of them there, but I think definitely mm-hmm. people outside. So like, you know, you and I are friends outside, you, you don't, you know, you don't do what I do in crew, but but I have friends outside as well as some inside who can relate to me. But again, I think the hard thing though, to be honest, is to find people who are supportive of you, but who really balance, they can balance that, well, you're guilty. What you did was wrong. That hey, you're loved and you can do this and you can think of ways to render this and learn from it. If you find a friend like that, keep them. Mm-hmm. because that's that's a goal that's a goal and as a leader a lot of times when we step into more and more leadership um, there is a power dynamic that we have that not many people will tell us the truth anymore the more you move up you know because you actually can fire them right mm-hmm. all dynamic plays out and so i think the more you move up in leadership ladders the more you really need to find honest friends who are actually healthy who can who can look at guilt, but not trip you over or trigger you into shame, but they will kind of help you not live in shame, but really be proactive about what they see, what you see in your life. Well, thank you so much, Margaret. Really appreciate you sharing uh, some of your experiences in leadership and delving into this topic of shame. I think it's going to resonate with a lot of our viewers and listeners. Um, And I think that was a good closing thought. So, what I'd like to do as we wrap up is how, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Mm. Uh, if they would like to have a one-on-one conversation with you because they're a leader and they're feeling 
terribly stuck in whatever shape or form of shame. Yeah. Um, you can contact me on um, Facebook if you're a Facebook friend, but you can always, Margaret, you, you can look at myself. Um, I'm also on Twitter, so you can also follow me on CC Epic Margaret. So okay. CC Epic Margaret, because that's Campus Crusade for Christ, Epic Margaret. So that might be the way you can like, you know, message me and then we can talk from there. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Margaret. We'll add that into the show notes. Margaret, you the National Director of Epic Movement, a part of Crew. And we'll sign off on this episode of Erasing Shame. Thank you for tuning in, and you know how to connect with us, erasingshame.com. My name is DJ Chuang, and we encourage you to take that next step in your Erasing Shame journey. Yay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Erasing Shame. Please subscribe on iTunes or YouTube and like us on Facebook. Share this podcast with someone you care about. For all of our episodes and more, visit our website at erasingshame.com.